Good morning. Oh, yes, you can hear me. Uh, my name's Helen Jackson. I'm married to Tim. Uh, we've been coming to St. Barnabas for the last 20 years. Ooh. It's really great to be with you here this morning, um, especially if you're new or visiting us. It's lovely to have you with us. This morning, as James says, we're continuing our series on sharing life, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and in particular, thinking about Paul as servant, apostle, and father. So let's pray before we begin. Lord, thank you that you died for us and that through your grace you set us free. We thank you that our faith rests not on human wisdom, but on your power. I pray now that you will open all our hearts to hear your word this morning, and that what is not from you will fall to the ground. Amen. The passage this morning is, um, well, it's huge. Uh, so, although I'm going to read it all, I'm not going to go through it verse by verse. You'll be glad to hear. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, if you're looking on a church Bible, it's on page 1146. Uh, but the words will come up on the screen or do find it on your app. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. The nature of true apostleship. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it's required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear. But that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. 
To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we blessed. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Amen. So, as we've seen over the last few weeks, the Corinthian church had grown rapidly through mission, which was great, but it was a bit all over the place. They were enthusiastic about building the church, but there was immoral behaviour, there were cliques and factions. People were questioning whether Paul was someone they should be listening to, or should they be following another leader. So, they had issues. Paul was writing to them as Christians who'd started off well, but were now busily constructing what was essentially a very human community with a human way of doing things, because that's the way they were used to doing everything. They were part of the Roman Empire and they were just reflecting that. 2,000 years on, obviously, we are much better at doing church. We know to be kind and prayerful and gracious and to try and refrain from bad behaviour, at least while we're here, um, and maybe even for the whole of Sunday. But personally, I find living the Christian life for the whole week is quite difficult. Uh, last Monday, I was on the 717 to London, when obviously nobody speaks. Um, and the lady beside me had put her phone on the table. And if you're here, I do apologise unreservedly. Um, but her phone was set to ping really loudly every time a text came in or a reminder of anything. And every time it went she would just lean over and, and look at it. And she would not do anything to kind of get rid of the message. So 30 seconds later, it would just ping again with the same message. And as we progressed and the train got delayed, the texts and the reminders just started coming thick and fast. And obviously, this is England, and there is no way I would ever have said anything. <laughs> but... 
if I had had a hammer in my bag, I would simply have smashed her phone to pieces without any hesitation. The Christian life is a journey for all of us. And no matter how far along that journey we may feel we are, this letter has something to say to us. When Anne gave me the title of this talk as Paul, servant, apostle, and father, I was a bit taken aback, as I could hear some of you were. It's easy to think of Paul as an apostle, a pioneering teacher, but a father? I'm no biblical scholar, but did Anne not know that Paul never married, never had children? It was all, it was a bit awkward, to be honest. Um, so I felt I needed to challenge her on this. And she suggested that as an early part of my preparations, I should actually read the passage. Um, who knew? So um, that... That was how I came upon the words in verse 14 that we've just heard. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. As the person who led the Corinthians to faith, Paul sees himself as discipling and nurturing them with the love of a father, rather than simply as a guardian or a leader. It's something very deep and personal. And let's look at the last words of the passage. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit. Paul, as a father, is asking, shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? That question has many echoes of the story in Luke 15 when the father welcomes back the prodigal son. The younger son has asked for and been given his share of his father's inheritance and has squandered it. In a moment, we're going to look at a short clip which suggests what might have been going through the minds of the father and son as the son is wondering if he dare return home. Normally, when we look at this story, we might think of ourselves as the son and the father as Jesus, welcoming us back with forgiveness and unconditional love. And that's entirely right. But Paul seems to be suggesting that as Christians, there are times when he and we are also called to play the part of the Father. Paul says in verse 16, I urge you to imitate me. Jesus portrays himself as a loving Father. And Paul is imitating Jesus. We are called in this passage to imitate Paul. So with that in mind, let's remind ourselves what that looks like. They don't go on to a wonderful rapturous reunion, you'll be glad to hear. Um, but I love that bit where they both say, 
I told you so. The son expects the father to say, I told you so. And all the people around the father are saying, I told you so. Because they thought he was mad to keep believing that the son would return and to think of forgiving him. But Jesus didn't give up on Peter, even though he betrayed him. He entrusted the whole church to him. Paul didn't give up on the Corinthians, no matter how badly they behaved, or any of the other churches he planted. And that is why we have a church today. That example of people being nurtured, loved, encouraged, and disciples with grace and love and acceptance is why we are sitting here. So is that how we love one another, how we are to one another or to people outside the church? Do we come with love and a gentle spirit, encouraging one another, not giving up on one another? It's not that Paul doesn't say anything when he has concerns. He does, but he does it as a good father would. He doesn't judge the Corinthians. He accepts them as his children. So Paul is acting as an apostle and as a father. But our title is Paul as servant, apostle, and father. The Corinthians are questioning whether they should listen to Paul. Should they be following someone else? Facing that sort of challenge, you might expect Paul to say, I think you'll find I'm the best. I had a miraculous conversion. My sermons are written down. These other guys are not going to stand the test of time at all. But he doesn't acknowledge these concerns because the Corinthians are not asking the right question. What he does is describe how he sees himself in a way which is totally countercultural for the Corinthians and for us. Instead of bigging himself up, he says in verses one to three that he is a servant who must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. He just doesn't care what they think. It is of no consequence to him. He is a faithful servant. He accepts that he's despised by the world. And all through the chapter, he puts himself down. Verses 12 and 13. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. It's obviously really painful, but he accepts that he's seen as the scum of the earth and the garbage of the world. Fine, he says, just bring it on. I won't retaliate. I don't care what you think at all. I expect you to think I'm rubbish, because maybe I am. But where does he get all this from? To see this in context, we need to rewind a couple of weeks to Paul's declaration in chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling, 
My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but in God's power. Paul's stance all the way through is that he is totally reliant on God's power. His identity is completely rooted in Christ. He's quite ready to believe that he is a hopeless preacher. That's reassuring. But his confidence comes not from his own ability or his status, but from his faith in God and God's power. The Corinthians are living their lives as if, even though they're now Christians, everything is still to be built in their own image around themselves rather than around Jesus. Now, we might say, we're not like the Corinthians. We don't allow ourselves to be split into factions within St. Barnabas. Oh, no. But we live in a city which has over 70 Christian churches. And they're all a little bit different. There's Roman Catholic, Baptist, conservative evangelical, charismatic evangelical, not evangelical at all. If you set out to find the church you like best, it would take you over 18 months to get round them all once, and you'd be none the wiser by the time you'd finished. And if you decide to come to St Barnabas, which obviously you will, there's still a choice of different services. And you know, the, the preachers switch around a bit. So if you say, I'm never going to go to the 10.30 again because there was that woman, it was awful, you might go to the nine o'clock and I'd be there too. <laughs> So as a mindset, trying to choose a church purely from what you like, what you don't like, what your own priorities are, is fruitless and utterly soul-destroying. While it's important to find the right church, the question is not which one is the best or the friendliest or the best music, because obviously everyone would be here. But we're not called to be consumers. Like Paul, we're called to be servants, to ask ourselves, what is God saying to me and what am I going to do about it? Going back to Paul's words in chapter two, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was a very educated person. If he'd wanted to set up an organization to be the church, you might have expected him to sit down and work out what to say and what to do to get it to work. But he didn't do that. He looked solely to Jesus for his guidance and inspiration. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but in God's power. So it's not that Paul doesn't do anything, but he looks to Jesus for guidance and relies on the power of God to build the church. But in his power, of course, God acts through us. So as his servants, we need to look to him for how to move forward. That's why our vision as a church, is arrived at through a lot of prayer and discernment. But as individuals, do we really believe that God acts through us? 
can we see that happening? Do we look for his prompting? Well, we've thought about Alpha already a lot this morning. Tim and I have been involved in Alpha for the last four years. And every year, of course, we think about how we might do things a bit better, do more advertising, finesse the timing, make sure we have nice tablecloths, flowers. But we never, we never have the faintest idea how it's going to go, really. Because there are two things we can't do. We can't make people come. It's not like asking someone to your birthday party. People don't feel guilty about saying no. Just like my, I asked someone and she said, no, don't ask me again, I'm never coming. So, okay. So we can't make people come and we can't make people become Christians. You can do all the same things and they seem to work one year or with one person and they don't work with another. Alpha is the only thing I've ever done where the rules of cause and effect just don't apply in the same way. So this week we had 30 people turn up for the start of Alpha. And some of them were members of the church coming with their friends, which was great. But there were a lot of, of people coming and seeking, which was wonderful. We're expecting seven more tomorrow, at least. This time last year... We had 15. But what was great about, um, about last Monday was that as well as those 30 people, we had 36 people helping, leading tables, helping with the food over the course of the evening, praying, preparing the room before anybody arrived. And we have more people signed up to do that every week. The guests were completely amazed at the commitment and the welcome that they found from people, most of whom had been at work all day. The atmosphere was simply wonderful. When we brought the session to a close and said it was time to go home, nothing happened. People just carried on talking. We should be really encouraged rather than, of course, being frustrated that we couldn't pack up. But it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Now, every guest has a different story of how they came to be there. And for a lot of people, that can go back over a very long time. It's about them being friends with someone at some point and now being friends with someone here, coming along to a Barnabas community or a service or a home group, or one person just listened to Thought for the Day and looked up Alpha on the internet. It, some of it goes right back to things in people's childhood, and some of it is stirred up by things happening in people's lives right now. God may have been working in their lives for a long time to get them to this point. But equally important in that process is how God is working in our lives to play our part in that process when we can't see the big picture at all. When I met Tim, I'd given up going to church and I remember him describing the sort of life he imagined himself and his hypothetical future life would have of leading home groups, of being pillars of an evangelical church. I, I was completely appalled. I said, I might one day find my way back to church, but one thing was for sure, I would never be that person and I would never live that life. So, 
So much for that idea. Paul says in chapter 4, verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The power of God has acted in the lives of the people that come to Alpha, and it's acted in our lives in responding to his prompting to ask people or to get involved. And the lives of all the people that our Alpha guests have encountered along the way in ways that none of us can comprehend at all. And however people arrive here, we need to offer everyone a wonderful welcome home, a father's welcome, a welcome like the father in the video clip. Paul was a servant, an apostle, and a father, and he calls us to imitate him. So is that what we do? Are we servants? Do we ask God how best we can serve him? Or are we consumers trying to work out how we can make things the way we want them? Those of us who are Christians, are we apostles? Are we looking for those moments where we're called to do God's handiwork, to play our part in bringing people to know him, however that might be? Do we really trust that we can be reassured that it's a matter of power and not of our words? And do we offer that wonderful welcome to each other and to those who come here seeking God? Or maybe you're someone who's actually looking for that Father's welcome. And if you are, we would love to share that welcome with you today. Do come and talk to me or James or any of the team after the service. Or, of course, you can sign up for Alpha and join us tomorrow. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Amen.